Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, leading composer Stephen Rennox and director Paddy Brannock explore the melody of film in a conversation about the creative collaboration between the director and composer. I'll give you a quick uh, idea of what we're going to do. We're, we've got, we've worked together, actually, we didn't work together on I Went Down, but we worked together. Uh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> uh, we worked together on Man About Dog. Um, we may talk a, a bit about that as we go through it, but largely what we're going to talk about is uh, Stephen's work on uh, Adam and Paul and Garage. And most of the clips that we'll be showing will be drawn from that. Um, throughout, what I'll try and do is uh, cover, talk about some of the music itself and then some of the issues about working. Uh, the working relationship between director and uh, composer and then hopefully we might have like maybe 10 or 15 minutes at the end to have some questions uh, from the audience if that's if that's okay um, so I just um, maybe the best thing would be to start off uh, with a clip and that will give us something to react to and give us a bit of context for the discussions. So if you could start off, we're going to show the opening um, uh, piece of music from Adam and Paul, which is number one. Tell me why you chose, or how did the choice come about to work with that sort of what I what I would call mm. Eastern European gypsy music, um, and you have the proper <laughs> name which you've informed me. Um, but where did that come from, and um, what was the idea behind that? Well, I mean, a lot of it goes back to which would fill in some of the the kind of biographical stuff. Len, the director of this, and I have known each other for years. Like we were in school together, and long before we were involved in working on features together, we'd worked on shorts and various things. Uh, and one of our big things was to try and make films which, while they would have Irish content and be set in Ireland, whatever, would not be overtly Irish would not have things which people could label as being very Irish, so Irish sounding, an Irish sounding soundtrack, Irish things which define it in that way. Um, now, and Lenny's background was uh, of, he's the child of uh, Jewish, Jewish parents who came two or three generations back. So he was, there was a certain kind of music which he was tuned into in some ways. Um, we never really discussed in specific terms what the music should be like on this. 
One of the things which is very interesting with Len in the two films, which I've, which I've, and there's a TV series, Prosperity, as well, one of the really unique things about Len when he works, certainly with me, and I think in the way he works with other people, is his ability to trust the people who he chooses to work with, which is terrifying as well. With this, Len basically gave me the film and said, will you do the music for it? And that is, it's quite unusual. It's quite unusual that that, that, that would happen. Um, often you would get directors who have a temp score, which mm -hmm. they either, it's, it's a terrible thing because often they have a temp score, it might be Seagull Ross or something, but they actually want a Seagull Ross, but they can't afford Seagull Ross. Mm -hmm. So they want you to do Seagull Ross light. But let me, let me roll you back on that, because yeah. I want to talk maybe more specifically. One of the things that I really like about that opening sequence is that it very quickly gives you so much information about the film and what's at the heart of the film. And to me, it's tarnished beauty. You know, it's uh, tarnished nature or tarnished beauty. And the music sort of, I know, because we've had a conversation, I found it very interesting, just that idea of the you talked about in the, from the concentration camps, the orchestras in the concentration camps, and that yeah. sort of, I think, comes into that in a very interesting way. So maybe talk a bit yeah. about the... I mean, these are bizarre. Process. These are bizarre things. When you try and reverse engineer... Because when I came to do this, there was none of that really was specific, OK? But I would look at the pictures and I would just have a certain feeling. It would just be a feeling that you would start thinking, it kind of has to have this feel. Now... When I look back and actually think about what was the feeling that I was going to, you know, that I was trying to get. The story here is about these two guys who are complete stoners. They've, they've wrecked everything around them. Relationships, uh, everything they touch, they destroy in some ways. But actually what it's about is just two people seeking happiness. That's what it is. It's a day, but they're still trying to just, just be happy. Um... So they're kind of, their aspiration is great in some ways, but they're kind of broken. They're broken characters. And I remember the story, hearing, hearing the story about in the concentration camps, all these, all these fantastic musicians who'd played in all the great orchestras in Europe uh, who made their own instruments, who made violins and fiddles and cellos out of whatever they could. And there was... These would have been extraordinary players, absolutely extraordinary players, who were playing this beautiful music on broken down instruments. So there's a kind of parallel there, this feeling of trying to, because actually the music in a lot of places, it's, it's a bit tuny, it's a bit out of time, it's a bit, it's a bit shambolic in some places. It has that kind of slightly side feeling. So there's a you know, kind of linear connection between the characters and a kind of music which I thought represented them. Now, I mean, it's a suck em and see kind of thing. I play this for Len, he said, yeah, Seems to feel right. And we, st we started with the first cue, and then we threaded the second cue through the first cue, and it kind of worked like that. But it's gone backwards and forwards. Um, it, it, what I feel about it as well is that it has, you know, say the pictures of the flowers where you've got, you know, they're, they're you know, a daisy or a, what, you know, some, in the daisy family. <laughs> I don't know the, the name of the flower. But that it's... Uh, um, but it feels like it's in a polluted area. It feels like it bears the, you know, it's a natural thing, but it has the scars of its environment mm -hmm. around. And the music feels that way as well. And it has maybe choosing a folk piece or something that's generated from a folk tradition yeah. has a mix of, and sorry, and your, so your use of it has a mix of knowingness and innocence. Right. 
and the contrast between the knowingness of the folk tradition, which has that sort of objectivity about it and yeah. sort of that it repeats, yeah. but yet the instrumentation, uh, ha there's an innocence and a wonder in that, and that seems to very quickly set the tone for the music. How, how important, this is Dave Fanning question here, I'm going around, <laughs> how important is it to uh, setting the tone for the whole film in that opening? piece was were you conscious of it or is it just again is that it's a, you're yeah. reacting to no it? you're always conscious of it i mean the other thing just to get back to my more maybe <laughs> maybe useful biographical stuff is that i never studied music i never i played in bands i did that i played music as a kid i grew up in a tradition where there was lots of church music and gospel music and stuff like that uh, so my background was architecture and then studying film or not studying film but making films I directed films, I helped write stuff, I shot stuff on camera, I edited, I did all that. So I was very aware of how the whole thing should come together. And that, fe you know, again, it goes back to being a feeling about stuff. Having watched the early pictures, having read the script, having spoken to Len about kind of what he wanted to convey. You know, again, the lovely thing about Len was that Len didn't really know. He didn't know. Lenny was mining, going through stuff of trying to get this thing. And similarly, when I started writing the music, I didn't really know where it was going which is terrifying, but incredibly exciting as well, because you're actually doing things which you don't, you know, it's very distinct to one of those situations where a director says, I want this. I want, for instance, a Siegel Ross sounding thing. You're, you're not involved in any artistic way in that. It's yeah. craft, you can do it, it's fine, I can, make, I can give you what you want. Yeah. It's not challenging, actually, yeah. in many respects. It's challenging because you want to do a good job, you certainly want to get paid. But something like this is different because it actually is uh, something that you just, it's much more of a feeling. And, and like I say, it's hard to, in some ways, it's hard to often talk about what was going on there. Because actually what was going on there was me sitting down, just playing ideas on guitar, trying stuff on, on piano, till eventually I just kind of thought that feels right. Yeah. That feels right. And definitely the film and the editing was, was mostly done by the time I ever got near yeah. any kind of musical thing. It wasn't... Yeah. Um, it didn't go backwards and forwards in that respect. Well, we might talk about that in a bit, just in terms of how do you, in terms of what's the ideal way to come into a film, and uh, you know, and different approaches sure. in relation. Different other people have very different approaches, and what you might have experienced, and what I might have yeah. experienced as well. So, but maybe we'll just go and uh, the next piece is it's a piece called Walking, and. Um, that's one of the things that's interesting. All the titles of the the pieces that Stephen selected are all very uh, straightforward. They're they're that's not the dressed pieces, up. No, the pieces exist as as music cues. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get people asking for asking for where they can buy these or where they can. I just say, well, they don't actually exist anywhere outside uh, outside the film. Yeah. So. so here we are. Yep, this is it. Don't take us
So, actually, just while I, there was a, I was just looking at my notes there, the, I wanted to ask you a question about the first piece. Again, there's a, a section where, and this is one of the things that we might talk about in a while, is what language do you use to describe music? If you're a musical illiterate uh, like me, but yet you have to find a language to discuss music, um, that's a very interesting process uh, when you're a director working with a composer. So in my language, uh, um, there's a piece where it's a, in the first piece where you, there's a series of descending notes where yeah. quite quickly yeah, yeah, yeah. it descends. Jesus, I'm not that bad then. Yeah, you yeah, understood yeah, yeah. that. No, absolutely. Is, is there a sense that I found that, does that connect with the tripping stone sequence later on? I know it doesn't musically, but like it doesn't sound like music, but it said to me that there's a descent coming, like it foretells some sort of yeah. suggestion. It was that, I know. Well, it's funny because somebody once said to me, they said, God, it's great how you use the same piece of music over and over again in that film and you don't get tired of it. Yeah. And we were saying, yeah, great, thanks, but it's not actually the same, same piece, piece of music. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it, they're all, they are all kind of similar and yeah. there's reference between one and the other. Yeah. So just again, going back, sorry, I don't know if this is a, yeah. a, answering your question. Uh, like, it's funny just watching that out of context because it's very, very, it's quite hard to watch for me yeah. because I'm, been examined and all, but I'm examining it as well. Yeah. And to see it taken as a cue like that, with yeah. a little bit of picture beforehand, yeah. it's not how it's done. Yeah. It's not what we're doing. Yeah. You know, when we're actually writing music for film, as much as you can, you work with the cue and you go back to the beginning of the film. Yeah. And you watch the film up to that cue and you watch how it yeah. fits in. Now that becomes unbelievably brutal. But when you're doing the 17th cue, or yeah. when we were doing your film, and we were doing Q38. I did, I did a film with Steve <laughs> Malibet talking, there were 44 music cues in it, and the film was only, I think, 85 minutes long, so it was, which is an awful lot of cues for a very sh a short film. But, um, it, but, but to, take it, to take it out of context like that, hmm. you know, I'm not sure it works. I see it in a different well, way. So, so, it is goes back to that thing that if you're noticing the music, you're kind of failing in a way. Yeah. It's about underscoring what's going on, or sometimes the musical well, work as I a kind of thematic thing, which I think it does. I suppose noticing more. is maybe the the word that's interesting there. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't be noticing it. I don't know, but you should be feeling it. You know, it should be supporting your experience. Yeah, um, yeah, ideally. So it's yeah. going in. Yeah. Whether you're yeah. very conscious, but I mean, the. The thing talking about where you see it on its own, I mean, I suppose that's another issue, and I can't remember who it was, but some, I think it might have been Preisner or some composer I remember reading about, and he said that the music is preparing for the silences before and after, mm -hmm. that it's the music is helping create the silences. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when you see something in isolation like that, you, you haven't been given the journey up to that or the journey after that. Yeah. And um, but, but having said that, I really yeah. like that piece of music. Thanks, Paddy. Um, Very good. And one of the things I wanted to talk about there was, it sort of introduces another, um, or or let's say develops another language, and that's the language of the trail, you know, of the journey, which becomes narratively very important when it, at the very end of the film mm. when you hear it again, and also the the sort of genre tone of the comedy, the Larlan and Hardy yeah, or whatever, you know, yeah, that it's, yeah, you know, yeah. I think there's a couple of Larlan and Hardy movies that use that, uh, yeah, yeah. that sort of horse riding yeah. uh, journey music in, in some way. Is there anything? 
to yeah and you see again again that. when I look at it and try and examine what was going on in my head at the time there's, uh, there's stuff which reminds me of I was born under a wandering star yeah. that feel of stuff yeah. of old westerns of and Mary Poppins Mary Poppins. Yeah, I was listening wow. to something. <laughs> I can't remember. Actually, it's in it's in it Man About be. it's in Man About Dog, and there's a Mary Poppins track in that. Is there? there? Yeah, something that really struck me about that song. But again, but it, but it does go back to that stuff—the stuff that I would have been listening to as a kid, stuff that yeah. I would have seen in matinees mm-hmm. on TV or whatever as a kid. All that stuff is part of the, my language of music. Yeah. I don't listen to a lot of music. I don't yeah. listen to stuff. I rarely listen to stuff on the radio. I don't really go and see live music. Um, and I, in some ways, I'm much more interested in music when it's with picture mm-hmm. uh, and how it works um, so so with this though as well it goes back to the, cho- the choice of instruments as well was these acoustic instruments there was nothing electronic there was nothing uh, again to because for some reason there seemed to be a connection that made me think it was more human to have acoustic instruments is closer to this story for whatever reason it goes back to a feeling yeah. it goes back to Lenny trusting me because he knows me or whatever, that mm. the, the decisions I will make. Now look, Len had the ultimate say. He would, he could have gone, no, it's not right. But, but, you know, I, I mean, I think when I look back on the music and I haven't listened to it for for a long time, it, you know, I think it does. It works quite well, in that it's a very strong character in the. It's mm-hmm. a strong character in the film. But well, one of the things as well that I, when I was looking up about Klezmer and all that, was that it says that it it mimics it's was secular jewish music yeah, yeah. but that it was originally derived from uh, ceremonial music right. but it became a, se- a secular tradition one of the things it says it mirrors uh, the human voice and so yeah. that it sort of it mirrors laughter and crying you know wow. so i suppose when you hear dun, 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 yeah, yeah. you know it's yeah. like a cry you know yeah, bawling yeah. or crying yeah. and i think that really connects very well in with the characters in that where sure. they, where they're sort of almost there's a clown aspect about their emotions but know? again you know whatever the where that where that came from i don't even know mm-hmm. but that's in my language yeah. that, that would somehow feel right yeah it somehow feels right and i think that sensitivity to stuff is just so important because mm-hmm. again, I mean, I would know real composers. You know, when I, you know, it's nice to be called a composer or not, but I don't think I'm a composer. Mm-hmm. I, like I write music. Uh, it's it's. I'm just going. My 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 brother has, is very qualified. He studied composition and he's a fantastic musician. And when I told him I was doing this, he just laughed and said that I had a neck. Like, and and I said, well, look. Did you look. turn around to what films have you done, pal? <laughs> but but in a way, I just said, look, it's like if you have an idea in your head to sing to, to do something, you can sing it to somebody. Then they then they can play it. You know, you would know, and I would know. If somebody has an idea to make a film, they could be very talented and just get it made. And sometimes doing stuff is about just forcing your way through and getting it. It's a, I suppose it's a belief or something that you just feel very comfortable that your idea is worth hearing or whatever. Um, You've been very modest because I know from my own experience that you're a precision in your approach to it and that you're exacting, well, which I suppose... That's out of fear of humiliation more, yeah. more than anything else. But No, no really, no, genu- no, you know, it is, genuinely. Um, the... Um, just on that, um, maybe we. I think we've a good few pieces to go, so maybe I'll just keep okay. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, going through some pieces, and we'll catch up with the other things as we as we go along. So we might look at Stoned, which is just. I should give you context. That basically, this the scene that we're going to watch now is uh, they've been trying to score drugs the whole day, and they've eventually scored drugs, 
just after their lowest moment and then suddenly fate intervenes and hands them the drugs almost from heaven. And, uh, and this is the scene that immediately follows. And it's an unusual scene because there's no uh, sound. It's just the, the music is the only sound, and, uh, which is an interesting thing, you know, that we might talk about afterwards. <laughs> Would I be right in saying is that the only piece of music in the film that's sort of psychological in the sense? Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's funny watching it again because it serves two different things. One is to kind of somehow express the bliss which they've achieved, I suppose, and the other thing is that there is something just very deeply tragic, deeply tragic about, and just terribly sad about the, the state that they're in. Um, and, you know, again, like when I'm writing it, I'm literally sitting on a piano just kind of thinking what creates the feeling that I think this thing has to, yeah. and trying different notes. I mean, listen to it now, it's, it's very, uh, it, it, there's definitely Debussy, um, Debussy elements to it. Mm -hmm. There's a, I, I don't know if you know, there's a piece that Claire de Lune is used yeah. in The Right Stuff, 
for this fantastic scene in the, where they do this feather dance before the yeah. astronauts leave, and it's absolutely stunning the way the piece of music is used. Yeah. But again, that was a big one because we I remember sitting. That was done at the sound mix in Ardmore, which is basically the last minute before. When you, you say you done, you you wrote the piece. No, and you no, no, no. Sorry, the decision to take away right. the okay the 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 location right. sound because it's a really dangerous thing. You know, like you'd spend so long trying to get an audience. Yeah. And if you risk losing them, and there's a couple of points there where it's just, it just kind of pulls back again when it, when, it, when it plays. But I do remember Ed Guiney and Len and myself sitting, going, do we leave this end in, do we take it out? And again, it was Len made the decision, you know. Mm. No, it's the braver thing to do is to try and, you know, and I think it, yeah. it, ultimately I think it works. But uh, I think it works fantastically well. I think uh, I was looking at it there and saying, Does, you know, that's one sequence where you can really say if the music wasn't there, it would feel completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. You know, just the imagery, you know, turning a cigarette pack yeah. into an emotion that yeah. says smoking kills. Mm. You know, it, it everything becomes uh, infused with... Um, it's like the lightning rod or the conduit for all yeah. the emotions surrounding the films to go into those images. Sure. Um, but again, look, the imagery is there. The, Im it's the yeah, director it's who, who, who does that, and in a way, to be able to have the openness to respond to yeah. that. You know, it's such a lovely thing to yeah. be able to have... Uh, like, I know when we worked together, it was an entirely different thing. It was a genre piece. We hated it was a different each other. Thing. Well, we hate each other, but we, it, things are getting better. Yeah. Um, but but, but it, was, uh, it was just very different. Yeah. With this film... It is actually, it's, what you said is very interesting. So much of the time when you're trying to write stuff, you were trying to create the space. You're trying to create a certain kind of harmonic hum, which the film, you hope the film achieves. And often you do that by having nothing, you know? Um, like I'm very reluctant a lot of the times. I would start off thinking the film, any film you start, you start with no music. You know, so when, when directors arrive and they say, I've done all, I've got all this temp music, whatever, you know, different directors work different ways. And you kind of have to take that on board. When I'm really big and famous, though, I will be saying, if your director come to me and ask me, you know, ask me what I think rather than telling me what you want me to do. And the, the is such a difference. The issue of temp, we, like I get, when the film I did with Stephen, I, it was temped up the wazoo, we temped everywhere. And so, which is a sort of, it's almost like a bit of, you've given handcuffs to the composer a bit already. It boxes them in. So it's, but there's lots of reasons why you do it. But I read a piece about um, uh, Maurice Shari, who did the music for... Um, uh, this is the dad, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. but also then afterwards, Dr. Shivago. Yeah. And uh, there's a story about him uh, that uh, um, David Lean gave him a Russian folk song that he wanted to use as the basis for, mm. you know, a lot of the music in the film. And... Uh, he kept writing, it, but then David Lean discovered, or they told David Lean that he that it was actually under copyright, even though it was a folk song, and he couldn't use it. So uh, Jarry went off to um, to work, you know, develop some other ideas, and he kept bringing back ideas, particularly Laura's love theme, you know, and. Uh, uh, David Lee would say, no, it's not right, not right, not right. And their first working collaboration on um, Lawrence of Arabia, everything he did was right. So it was kind of, he was a bit thrown that suddenly yeah. everything was going uh, wrong. 
And uh, one day Lean came in and he said, listen, you know, uh, just uh, you're, you're trying to recreate the Russian thing. Everything you're doing is that Russian song I gave you. You're just trying to recreate it. And he says, I don't care about Russia. I care about love. So mm. go away with your girlfriend for the weekend and come back. Don't mm. write anything and just come back. And he came in and on Monday morning and in half an hour he wrote mm. Laura's theme and just handed it over and it was perfect. You know? yeah. So being boxed in, can, it, can sh well, it can show you the terrain, but it can also... Uh, yeah, I mean, being you. boxed in, the big thing about a temp, and temp is often used when editors are cutting and they, 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 editors will use to cut to a certain scene. It depends on the genre of the film, whatever, but the problem with it is is that the editor and the director are used, they get used to how the scene works with this music. So they get married to it. Or they, they, it we call it demo love. Mm -hmm. right, you just absolutely fall in love with this piece of music. Even though you know you can't afford it, you're not going to use it, whatever. All the time you're wishing you could. Right? So when you go to the composer, who's not really the composer then, they're actually just the... Do you, do you remember the phrase robo-banjo? Robo-banjo, I do, yeah. Um, in Man About Dog, there was a lot of banjo in the temp track and uh, Stephen did, did some demos and it had banjo in it as well. And then when we came to record the real piece, he got a real banjo player in. But I'd fallen in love with the synthesized uh, banjo. And uh, I insisted that we have that because I felt it had a particular tinny quality. It was probably just, as Stephen says, that I was used to it. And, um, but I, there was a rawness in it that I liked. But Stephen was appalled and nicknamed it Robo Banjo. Well, they were our only dark um, moments, really. Yeah, no, no, no they were. But again, it does come back down to a thing where the director, the director makes those decisions. And if you're writing music, yeah. if you want to do this, I know people who are real composers who have done some stuff, but they just get it wrong because they're, all they're doing, they're, they're more concerned with writing. They don't... The pictures are an inconvenience for them. The yeah. director is an inconvenience for them. Yeah. They want to write a piece of music. They write it. It might be a beautiful piece of music, but it doesn't exist just as a piece of music. Yeah. Its only real relevance is to underscore or to be used in the way which the director wants, it, wants to use it. And unless you can accept that, and unless you can just simply get on with somebody, because if you go in to meet a director... Or you or have a producer, different... Way, you, I mean, there are other ways of working... But largely, I think you're right. That's what it is. Well, but it depends, because if you're if, a director who, if you come, who... Yeah, if you want to employ somebody who's like that and who yeah. actually is more of a musician and to use their music in a yeah. certain way. But I'm talking about just working or, as a jobbing the, composer. Or I that suppose. they might influence the, the director yeah. at an earlier yeah. stage in the process. Yeah. yeah. But I think if they're coming in to compose at the end of the process, the die is largely cast. Yeah, and also, you know. but you just can't be precious about it. You yeah. cannot be precious about it. And, you know, you can certainly fight your corner and say, well, I think it works mm -hmm. this way. But if you're talking about it and going, yeah, but no, you can't change my piece of music because actually it, you're just in trouble straight away mm -hmm. because it just doesn't... You know, you do, it's the same in any, of the, any mm -hmm. of the DPs in a film, whether it's the photographer or whether it's... Yeah. It's about trying to make this thing which has... Which is an audio-visual experience. It's mm -hmm. not just about... It's not just about, about and that has coherence, I think. For yeah, better or, or works worse. towards what you want it to work towards. For better or worse, the, yeah. you know, the director's perspective... Gives it maybe that unifying coherence. And, I have you know. bitten my tongue so many times when, and, and even sometimes because I've directed stuff or whatever, I would certainly have opinions about stuff. Mm -hmm. And you would be saying sometimes, or it's been, I've been in situations before where I just think that the director is making a terrible mistake. You know, and you would offer it different. You would actually kind of go, no, look, try, if you put this piece of music, it changes it, which helps how your character develops, how whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, they make the decision, and it is their name at the end of it. So, um, so you shouldn't use the banjo. We're like the the character, <laughs> the character in Little Britain, you know, who's in the wheelchair. He says, "Don't like it," you know. That's maybe the well, it is, part yeah. of the director's yeah. persona. Um, we might move on and just look at uh, the closing piece from Adam and Paul. So that, that piece, that maybe talk that it brings a lot of the other elements that are in the other pieces together. Yeah, I mean, again, it's very hard to take it out of context. Like there was, there was a bit of a run in there, which is good. And there was a lot of these sounds, which were location sounds. Yeah. There was this weird whistling sound, which yeah. was actually the wind going through the, the reeds or the... Yeah, the, um, I, yeah it, again, it's hard to kind of, it's kind of hard to describe how I arrived there. But when I did arrive there, it kind of seemed to feel right. And and even when it goes over the titles, what's interesting is I think it's still, you're still, even though you're looking at people's names, you're still back on that beach. Yeah. In in some ways with those characters. So the music still keeps you back there. 
Um, well, it has the rhythm of the sea is in it as well. It's yeah. sort of been like trail music and the horse, it sort of has that rolling yeah. kind of quality. But yeah, and it's also, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, if we get around to the, 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 the garage cues, it's a similar thing that I've only realised when I looked at this stuff. Uh, that there's, the way the music works is quite interesting because in both films, there's like a piece of music which starts before <coughs> your first images. It starts over, it's, and it's like uh, an overture, I suppose, in a, in a classical sense. Then there's also a piece where it is just the music and the sound is out. And then at the end, the music works in a similar way. It starts over picture and it continues then over, you know, which is not necessarily the normal convention of how, how, how things work. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's funny because, again, one of the things is that when I wrote that piece and put it on the... You're hoping it works. Yeah. You're hoping it works. But I only saw it two years later. But it's it's sort of... Your, the trail music is in there. Yeah. The Irish and, But yet, obviously, there, the yeah. story is very different, you know, because one person isn't on the trail anymore. They've, you yeah. know, which brings yeah. that tragic comic thing. It's the tragic side of that comic thing, which is great. But the trip music is in underneath it as well, or the trip instruments... Yeah. Let's say are are the sounds of the trip are in there as well. There's a little bit of everything. Yeah, so there sort of, is, and, and it feels like it's laying you to rest a little bit at the end of the yeah. film. That it's sort of laying you down after yeah. the journey. I felt well, great. I mean, because that is the, that is the idea. Because it gives that, yeah. it offers us. I suppose it's one of the things what we were talking about earlier on, that you know it's what the function that each individual piece of music does, but then it's the structural function of making you feel that you've been and gone and come back or yeah. Yeah. you know or well, leaving the, yeah. you ambiguously sure. or whatever the structure is but the music is serving that uh, that narrative function well none of the cues exist by themselves I mean, they yeah. just can't they all have to have reference yeah. you know and a lot of films are made now and, and it happens here where the first thing that they'll start doing is looking at what tracks they're going to use from what bands and what yeah. and, and it's a, just a different type of filmmaking in a yeah. way it's a different type of filmmaking to the films that I'm that I'm I'm, I'm interested in it. And there's commercial reasons why people have to do that. Yeah. But in the sense of writing a score for stuff and how that works, you have to all the time be threading your next cue through the last one you did because that's how it's going to be. So they don't work in isolation. They're not pop videos. They're not actually little segments which kind of be, you know, you can play them by themselves and they can be interesting and they might work and they might not. But it's hard to see them out of the context of the overall thing. And that's why it is when you're getting towards the end of something, it's really brutal because you have to watch the film over and over again. To see how the last cue works, you have to start at the beginning and watch yeah. it. You don't always do it like that, but really you have to kind of... And, and, and even then, like what I was going to say was, I actually watched Alan and Paul. Like I was at the, the first night it was showing whatever in Galway. But the first time I really saw the film was about two years later somewhere where I actually had forgotten about it. And mm -hmm. actually saw it probably the way other people were seeing it. And, and I mean, you know that experience. Mm -hmm. You're so close to film. Mm -hmm. You're putting it together. You can't ever really see. And you're all the time estimating how this is going to work. Um, so it's all, you know, it's, it's terrifying. Did you like have to choose instruments? <coughs> Say, for example, that broken feeling, the piano. Was that something where you looked for a piano that had yeah. a... A sort of slightly discordant or a little bit was a little bit off always. Yeah, you know? that's exactly what I mean. It was like I remember as a kid being in certain like there was a place called Merrion Hall which they shot Hear My Song, in, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is now the Davenport Hotel. Yeah, and it was an old Plymouth Brethren Hall. And I remember being there, and it was filled with harmoniums, which are these fantastic little yeah. keyboards you'd pump and play, yeah. which are used a lot now by very cool bands uh, and <laughs> pianos that would have maybe six or seven notes. Yeah in tune and everything else would be out. So they're slightly broken, but you yeah. can still play a tune. You could still, it could still do the function of having, 
a real quality. It's like you sometimes hear people sing whose voices aren't great. There's yeah. a great, there's a great John Kelly in his wisdom introduced a song into the common conscience, which is uh, Wayfaring Stranger, which is sung by a guy called Charlie Hayden, who's a famous jazz bassist and, and has played with. And he sings this song. He's not a singer. And it's, he's got this broken voice and he sings this song, which means a lot to him. And it's absolutely stunning, yeah. deeply moving, because there's no polish on it. There's no nothing, but it's completely heartfelt. Mm. And I think I'm much more interested in that music than I am yeah. somebody who's very polished, who's very, you know, uh, and so that's reflected pro probably in that, you know. On that note, just because you, you brought up two things, and just to give a slightly change of tone, um, uh, Stephen talked about the uh, Plymouth Brethren Hall, and uh, when we did Man About Dog together, I, the, like it was a bit of a, because of the volume of music that had to be done, and the speed it had to be done, and also because it was drawn from a temp that it was had been temped out, there wasn't a huge amount of space in it. Stephen did brilliant music, and I'm delighted with it. But I gave you it was a it was a tough enough yes. assignment, let's say. Um, and but there's a piece of music that Stephen wrote that sort of it's kind of in the film as a piece of um, source in the background on a radio, and you can't really hear it but it was a song uh, that Stephen wrote, and I've always felt that it deserved a better platform than uh, the film gave it. And, but it comes, I was very, I think Stephen brought his own background, and particularly that sort of, you know, religious background and religious music and religious language is in the song. It's a country song, and um, so we're gonna play that. There's no pictures to go with it, but you hear the song, and it just, I want to do it in terms of the range of stuff that St Stephen's able to do. So, the audio clip, yeah. I, I might, again, I don't know how long it is, so if it's gone on too long, I might stop it just so we can keep pushing it. Lost and found my way too many times to say. Can recall a bet I didn't have to pay. I spent my youthful years, I wandered near and far. So my life passed through the bottom of a jar. I guess there ain't no way to fix this wandering heart of mine Rambling man can't settle down Twist and stick don't ride There's places that I've heard of And they call from far away Don't look for me tomorrow Cause I'm still here today Trust and hope all gone Not suffered by my pride Gamble life away As my fear grew up inside I built my house on sandy ground 
and stood on feet of clay. And then I put my money down when I could have walked away. Great song, isn't it? Thank you. I you didn't think say, I had such a good singing voice? I should just say, oh, no, by the way, that's Frankie, uh, Frankie Lane. Was the it? guy singing is Frank, a guy called Frankie Lane, who's uh, yeah. uh, a fantastic musician. Yeah. And uh, he, he actually, the song was originally done much faster, but we just asked him, having learned, uh, after he, he learned the song, we asked him, would he just play it by himself and he's got this unbelievable way to pick up a song he hears it once or twice yeah. now he'll also add in his own bits which is you know and, and I've been playing actually with him recently yeah. and uh, it's scary because you rehearse and rehearse you get on stage everything changes yeah everything changes and it's talk about terrifying you know yeah. it's uh, but uh, yeah no it's that's was the lyrics and the language you know feet of clay you know language that um, I growing up, I didn't use, even mm. though it's common. They're common phrases now, but I think it came. I think it's more associated with, say, biblical language and a particular kind of emphasis yeah. on the Bible that yeah. uh, that us Catholics don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my background was was uh, Southern Irish Protestant, which is uh, and and a particular version of that, which was was Baptist, uh, which was quite interesting. Um, but it, it meant we grew up all like surrounded by. Gospel music, and, and I don't mean gospel music as in Aretha Franklin, unfortunately. I mean old, you know, old Victorian hymns and stuff. But what's very interesting was, uh, you know, there are certain traditions, like we didn't make confirmations, we didn't do that stuff. We didn't have bar mitzvahs, but I do remember up until a certain age, the boys would sing with the ladies in the ladies' parts. Okay. okay? In, in any hymn, it would be all the boys' voices. And a big coming of age thing was when you got to sing with the men. Yeah. And so you learned those parts so that you knew. So, I mean, stuff like harmony and stuff yeah. was absolutely second nature. So people now talk about, which means that, sorry, this leads on to this thing about, I've worked with classical musicians where, where uh, you know, you're just going to go, okay, well, look, that's the melody line. Well, you bring up a third from that. And they'll say, well, can you write it out? And I'll go, well, I'll just sing it for you. And they'll go, well, no, can you write it out? And I go, well, actually, no, I can't write it out. Or I'm not going to write it out. I'll just sing it for you, whatever. And then you realise, actually, when you work with traditional musicians, generally, they just go sing it for me, and they just do it. And and it's a very like I've learned a lot about working with. Now look, I'm not saying classical musicians. There's a certain training, but generally, if you want to get a kind of really great feel and to work in a certain way, which I like, which is that thing of being able to change, have ideas, whatever, to sing stuff. You know, I mean, I would be quite happy. I haven't done it yet. I haven't worked with an orchestra or whatever. I kind of relish it because I know the kind of proprietorial nonsense you would actually be dealing with initially while they kind of check you out to see if you're okay. And I'd absolutely love that because it just is, if you can sing the idea, if you can convey the, communicate. You said that about whether or not you have the right language to explain to a composer or whatever. You know, you just have to say, this is the feeling that I want. Mm -hmm. This is the feeling. So I should also say, by the way, that I work with this guy, uh, Hugh Drum, who, who uh, is a producer, an engineer, who is constantly editing stuff yeah. that I would do. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, our collaborations are different. And, and <coughs> when I do stuff where it's mostly, when, I, when I'm writing all the stuff and kind of recording it, it would be Stephen Rennix. Some of the stuff we've done would be Stephen Rennix and Hugh Drum. Yeah. And then stuff that we've done that we don't really want people to know we've done is sponge music. music. Okay. So there's these degrees of removal from, right. from things, you know. Um, let's, I might uh, um, 
just I'm kind of conscious I want to it's half past now and I think we were sort of due to finish up now but say if we we go for 10, 15 or something like that but I want to <coughs> give everyone a chance to ask a few questions so maybe we'll just watch one more yeah. clip which is kind of given that the religious um, conversation or thing, I, I feel there's a very strong influence of that in the in the opening clip from Garage when Stephen when we started and you were saying yourself and Lenny okay. For me, that like what I got from that when I was listening to it, I felt that again it sums up the film very quickly, or it it prepares you for the film and gives you so sums up the film is probably the wrong word, but it it hides the film mm. in that piece of music or hides the theme of the film. Let's mm -hmm. say the ideas in a sense of like it's the tragedy of a thwarted beginning. You know that the music doesn't quite. Uh, it's it's going and it's beginning to develop, but it's, it stops Stopping itself all the time, all the time which yeah. feels like his character that you know that yeah. his potential was thwarted very early in yeah. life. In the you know when whatever happened to him or whatever yeah. uh, thing happened in his childhood or in his when he was in uh, pregnancy or whatever. The thing that makes him different. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, this was. You know, that thing where Len asked me again, gave me the film, he didn't really have any ideas about the music. And he just said, look, have a look at it and see what you think. Uh, what that I, there's a very peculiar sound. They're real strings, but it's a very peculiar sound. All the strings pieces there are actually reversed. So we, I, I wrote the piece, recorded it, wrote it, then did it backwards, then got the players to play it to play it, and then, then reversed it. So that a violin sound or a fiddle sound is a very—it's a very pure signal. So yeah. even if you play it backwards or forwards, it sounds very similar. But when there's little runs and movements, that's where you would hear the slight difference. Yeah. So so it just has this. It just gives it a slightly different quality, and there is that exact thing where just these things are kind of—they're just about to kind of take off, and then they keep coming back, and they keep coming back. And all I can say about it is that when I was doing it, it just felt right because it feels like bells to me. That well, it's like a like a, appealing a, appealing of yeah. bells and a her, like heralding something as yeah. well. Yeah, um, I mean it's also a classical. It's a kind of classical notion of an overture that would open something, mm -hmm. but again, it's not quite that. There's something, something other about it than just being that, and it never really does take off. And again, with with garage, there's only three pieces of music in it. There's the beginning, 
piece at the end and then this piece in the middle where there's no location sound. Um, I wrote about Tim, but I knew all the way through it that they just wouldn't be in it because it just didn't need it. Mm -hmm. Because there is a music, there is a uh, you know there was nothing to underscore. There was no drama did, to support. There was nothing. Did you have like a that. scoring session with Lenny, or did you you just get the film and then you went? You mean in terms of spotting, yeah, spotting no, session where you. No, no, really, no. Len was still, <coughs> you know, he was doing stuff. He would have been off doing sound and fixing up sound and stuff, and I was working. And in fact, the end piece wasn't right. I had a piece for the end, and it just wasn't right. And about about two days before the final mix, I just. Uh, I came up, I just, there was another piece that I had just been kind of messing around with and I started reversing bits on that and working on that and when I did it, I remember I called him up at about two o'clock at night and got him to come into the studio and said, look, listen to this. And initially he just, he didn't really say anything and then he'd listened to it a few times and then he said, yeah, yeah, I think it's much better. But I, it was... Did he ever say, why did you wake me up at two in the morning? Well, initially he did, yeah, <laughs> he did. But but there was, like, so it's like that, you yeah. know? And if the sound mix had been two days earlier, it wouldn't have, I don't think I would have cracked it. I don't think, yeah. when I did it, I actually felt, yeah, it works, it really works yeah. in context and it works, you know, again, it's hard, it, it, it's hard for me to say because I'm so close to the film in some respects, but I think... It just doesn't need music through a lot of it because yeah. the images are so strong, the use of sound is very strong, and if you put music on it, you're either overdoing what's already there, because the way underscores often used is it supports stuff because it's not quite there, or it drives a you know a dramatic point home or whatever. Um, I just felt it didn't. But listen, I tell you, when we were sitting, this was first. This was premiered in. Where was it premiered? can't remember, but I remember sitting, it was shown in Cannes and it won an award in Cannes. I remember sitting there absolutely sweating because we just had no idea. Now, I, you know, I can imagine what it was like for Len, but I was just there. But also because I was the composer, there were only three pieces in it. So it was a kind of brave, yeah. you don't even want to call yourself the composer, you know, you wrote the bits of music that are in it. And yet, I don't know what the name for that is, other than composer. <laughs> sorry. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. But, no, no, I know. But, but I, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to yeah. undermine it. But I, you know, it, it, it is. Um, no, it's somebody else might try and plaster music. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or, I think making those decisions not to put. Yeah. Not and to I think put the nature of that film. Important. I think it's obviously the right decision. You know, um, I, might, I might before we push on too much. Anybody want to ask a question? Or make a comment. Yeah, I want to ask Stephen, how did you get the fiddles recorded for Garage Band at last week's event? You mean just actually, where did I go and what did I do? I know, I mean, how did you get it on paper? Um, uh, a very long process of trying to do it myself, failing miserably, uh, then using a thing called Sibelius, which is where you put the notes in and then it, it, it's a program which prints them out for you. But that wasn't right, it still wasn't, the feeling wasn't right, so I had to kind of work with, uh, I think it was a guy called, <laughs> I think it was Ken Rice, who does a lot of stuff, and he just would, you know, he's great, and, and he just asked him to pull certain notes, push them, change them a bit, and stuff like that. But it was a case of just being there with them. It's not a situation where you go in with these string players, and you give them the sheet music, and they just play it, and it just, that never that never works. It might work if you're doing a big score with a big orchestra where you're on the clock and you've got eight an hour, eight hour session and you've got 20 cues to get through. And you take what, you're, what, what you get and you get what you pay for. 
you know, it really is like that. If you want stuff to sound really good, you pay for it. You go to a really good orchestra where every single player is absolutely on top of their intonation and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you don't pay for it, you don't get it. You know? Does that answer? Is that yeah, kind of it? Yeah. Sorry, can I just ask a question? You, you know, you keep uh, referring to the guy uh, who gave you so much latitude. Yeah, with, with Lenny. Score, like, yeah. So that's for anyone who isn't Lenny Abramson who directed yeah, sorry, yeah. The, the film. Sorry, I should have said. I feel every time you were talking that it really came from your heart, and I think that's what you're talking about in the, through the whole process, like, you know? And, uh, but how, you've obviously worked with several different directors. Yeah. And what happens if someone is very, very uh, restricting? How do, you, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I, think the I think the relationship is reflected in, in the music in, in, in some respects, yeah. because I think there's a lack of joy in it. Yeah. I think. I think what you get is what they're asking you to do, which is that, in a way, they're all over it already. And they just want you to deliver a very, very specific set of notes and whatever. And in a way, again, look, the relationship never starts well because you know that you're not... They want somebody who they can't afford. So you know you're second best to start with. And you know that they're, you're actually employing other skills, which is an ability to reproduce, to do genre stuff, to do Cajun or bluegrass, or to do different different things, you which I'm happy to do. And if somebody's, you know, and listen, I'm not going to turn down that work. It's great. No, I, I love doing it. It beats working it's, for a living in, in, in many respects. Honestly, I, it's a joy to do. However, sometimes it stops being a joy to mm. be playing music for stuff it's in a, a situation. It's a difficult one because, it, like, often if, you, if you're doing a film, let's say that particularly if a film needs to be previewed, so you go through the editing process and at some stage you're going to have to preview it and the previewing might have a big impact on its commercial life. In other words, if the previews go well, the distributor will back it and get behind it, um, and they're encouraged by that. And it's very hard to preview a film unless there's music on it. You know, you really have to. And that's often why, it's one of the reasons why temps go in there. Um, sometimes the temps can be actually the composer does the temps and is involved very early on um, but mostly it's they're you know robbed from other films uh, you know you're just using the music from other films to give an approximation of what you need um, and it's it's a sort of yeah I mean look it's not a thing I'm, a not a, I'm not against <coughs> it it's not that I mean I'm just saying that I would be employed in different capacities sometimes I'm actually comp I'm, I'm actually employed to be a composer and to give a real input into something you know, where you actually think that you can really add something. And, and, and again, you know, it, you, it's exciting because you don't know what you're going to get. Whereas when you're doing the other thing, you know what you're going to fall short of. If you succeed, you're going to fall short of what they really wanted. You know, it's like being asked to do a pastiche. Piece I of think music. the thing is, they don't, the director doesn't have to show you the temp as well, that you can have, have cut it to a temp and yeah, you can have previewed it. Absolutely. But he doesn't have to give you the temp. Yeah. You know, but it's also, and you can let you yeah. have a, a clear go. And it's so really, and it, it, time comes into it and other things come into it. You know, do you have enough time to explore it and go through that? So it's different. But there's also scales. So I was just going to say, there's also scales of, of, of production. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I've done independent Irish films. You know, I haven't done any big films yet. I haven't done any, any films where they score. And, and I mean, you know, for me to make that step up, I'd have to have an agent. I'd have to get involved in all that stuff. I don't, know, I don't even know if I want to do that, to be honest, because you lose a kind of, uh, then you, listen, be great you know Dario who you worked with won an Oscar and he was 
he was a replacement for somebody who couldn't work or somebody somebody remembered. No, no right? even like I, I had done a, two or three films with Dario, and I did a Miramax film, and I put Dario forward as the composer, mm. and uh, they they weren't interested and within two years he'd won an Oscar and, and they, were they were completely interested in him but you know it's sort of, it doesn't matter about you know how good somebody is or what and it's it's what their the track record or whatever okay one last side there's three questions at the back four questions there so uh, Paul yeah. I was just going to ask to see, have you ever had the luxury to come in at the script stage where they're looking for your influence to help yeah. with the mood of the film uh, well recently yeah, recently I have, there's another one, Len, Lenny is shooting another one at the moment, uh, which I've been reading or whatever and I'm getting ideas. And there was another one, unfortunately, which didn't go ahead, which I was working on for a guy, a director called Stephen Bradley, which was being shot in France, uh, which may still get made, but I've been working on that one for weeks. But again, there are people I know who would, I suppose, value what I have to say about it, you know. I'm allowed to do one last question, but maybe after... I'll be very brief if you want. If you want to ask the questions, I'll be really quick. Yeah, okay, we'll Depends do what it is, rapid fire answers. Yeah. Rapid fire questions then, right. too, please. Ago, uh, your response is, is really visceral and, um, and there's a lot of feeling, and I just wondered if you had other examples of sites that you've explored sound with, like you described the piano sound. Uh, explain a bit more what, 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 what you're asking me. Oh, I just, I just wondered if you gained inspiration from actually going to a particular place or environment or setting or... Uh, no. No, it would be the short answer. I mean, I, I, my my your life, my life. I mean, I'm a middle-aged man with four kids who has certain experience, and you know. But I, you know, I, I mean, when I was younger, yeah, it would be just life. It would, it would just be life. There wouldn't be. I think in terms of say piano sounds, I'd know from talking that that would be a conversation we'd have. I love the tone of that instrument. Like we would have had that on Man About Dog. I like that. Why do you like it? I like it for this reason. And you're kind of mining into the minute of of a piece of music or a sound. And you might be yeah. trading things. And, and I'm sure you're listening to things all the time saying, oh, I must remember that one. I like that. That would be part of the process, you know. Sorry to... Yeah. Was that your intention, or is it just in hindsight looking back that you thought that? Well, when I saw it there, I kind of thought it because I was listening to it. I thought it really was a stinky that, but I didn't know if that's Yeah, um, well, I really like Debussy, yeah. uh, so I suppose, I suppose it, it would it, it would reflect that. But no, it wasn't. I mean, I, I was aware, I was aware that there was. It's a piano, and it's a similar kind of thing, and it uses a certain type of chords. But uh, God, if it could be compared to Debussy, it's it's it's, it's doing okay. Last one and then we're gone. Quick answer, quick question, quick answer. Um, sir, uh, you were just when you said recently you've been working on some projects where you come in at script stage. Yeah. I was wondering in terms of your process, um, it's obviously very different by responding to words on a page rather than to Hugely. on the screen. Yeah. I mean, really, it just gives you an idea of what you might have to deal with, whether or not it's a film that's got a lot of dialogue in it, what kind of characters are in it, whether or not it's going to be very visual. It really is that. It's, it's, it's not, there's really not more. And look, you'd have no input because no director would listen to it me at this stage they just and if they did they'd only be pretending you know so so you kind of get used to that the other thing you get used to is the fact that when you're told initially that the budget is going to be x you know that by the time you come to the end of it it's going to be half of x it just it seems to be a rule of thumb that's so. true listen sorry for uh, we have to go uh, thanks very much Stephen for coming and doing this with us thank you um, we, we'd probably be downstairs for a couple of minutes if there's anything that somebody wanted yeah. to specifically ask and we didn't get to it. And apologies that uh, I left it a bit short at the end. But.
Thank you for listening to SDGI Directors in Dialogue. We would like to thank our sponsors, the Irish Film Board and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit us at www.sdgi.ie.